Good morning. Welcome to, wait for it, Summer at Sunrise. Hey, so I'm Byron. Welcome. I'm glad you're here. I hope you're glad you're here, kids. Uh, there is a kids service going on down the hall, so if you have kids in the room that need a break, uh, run them down there. So, just a reminder that everything I'm going to tell you right now is available through Facebook. You can get on the church website, get on the Facebook page, and uh, all these announcements are right there. So, biggest is that next Sunday morning, no one will be here. I hope. (laughs) Because we're going to be down the street in Hager Park. So, same time, 9 a.m., south end of the park, look for the, you know, big... Confab going on, and and that's where we'll be. Bring lawn chairs. Uh, There'll be a town hall meeting right after the service, whatever that means. And then you can bring a picnic lunch and uh, hang around. Have a good time. It's a park. Do fun stuff. Uh, Sunrise students. This is for parents. I don't see many students in the room this morning. Um, They have a a slip and slide event sliding into summer um, on Wednesday night. So get your kids over for that, um, and uh, they'll have a great time, 6th to 12th grades. There's a playground date on Friday, June 25, this coming Friday, so that's at uh, Heisinga Park in Zealand, starts at 9.30, so kids uh, are welcome to join that. And then on Saturday, June 26, uh, the staff here at Sunrise is providing a break time, 1 to 3 in the afternoon Saturday, so bring your young children They'll have a blast, and you'll have a blast. So uh, bring your kids over and enjoy that. I'm glad you're here, and uh, let's have a great morning.
Father, we come to you this morning as a people who want to praise you. Uh, you're the one who is our greatest father, one who has given us a reason to come here this morning to sing songs praising you. Thank you for your son. Thank you for your love. Thank you for being the King of Kings. In Christ's name, amen. You guys can go ahead and grab a seat. As you do that, happy Father's Day. Two people are excited for fathers. Wonderful. Or that's the dad who is our drummer over here said, are probably going to get tube socks today. (laughs) Um, Well, happy Father's Day. My name is Dan Fisher. We're glad that you're here. Whether you're here for the first time or you've been here for a while, we're glad to have you. We've got beanbags and stuff up here, tables uh, with different activities on them. Your kids are more than welcome to hang out on those. Of course, we don't define who kids are, so you're welcome to self-define. We're glad that you're here. Uh, This morning, we get to do something that I love doing as a church, and that is to, um, hold on one second, let me get this going here. Technology's great till it's not. One of the things that we get to do every once in a while, and one of the things that uh, we're doing this morning, is we get to lock arms with parents who have welcomed into their home a new child. And this morning, we get to do that for the Matthias family. Uh, And what we do during this time is we step into the long tradition that's been going on for thousands of years, where when a family welcomes a child into their home, they bring it before those who follow God with them to do a couple of things. One, to acknowledge that this life is a gift from God. And number two, it is the collective responsibility of all of us who walk with this family, because we're either part of their physical family or part of their spiritual family to help this child grow up one day to know and to love Jesus too. And so that's what we get to do here this morning, whether you're watching online or you're here in the room. So I'd like to invite up Noah and Julie Matice and their beautiful daughter, Alethea. Look at her. I mean, she's coming up too, so you can see her here, but look at her. Alethea Renee. I'll move this over this way. Good morning. How are you? I won't touch. I'll stay over here. <laughs> so how old is Alethea now? Ten months. Ten months old. And you have family here with you this morning. Welcome, guys. Thanks for being here. So Alethea, you are a gift from God, and we are excited that you're here. Your parents have picked out this verse for you, and for those of you, I want to point out to you as along the way what, they, what helped them pick Alethea's name. The verse here is from John 14, verses 16 and 17. I will ask the Father, Jesus is saying this to his disciples, and he will give you another advocate to help you and to be with you forever, the spirit of Aletheia, the spirit of truth. The the world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you will know him, for he lives with you and will be with you. So this is your prayer for Aletheia and our prayer for her as well. So, Noah and Julie, Julie is on staff with us here at Sunrise, and they're actually in the process of becoming members. We'll have about five families who we will introduce to you in a couple of weeks. So they have said to us, yeah, we know who you are, and we want to jump in with all you weird people. (laughs) Because uh, we come around some of the same truths, and those are what I'll ask you to affirm. Number one, do you affirm that Jesus is the one who is God's Messiah, in whom we find hope and eternal life. <laughs> if so, say we do. Okay. 
Alethea, I like to hear you talk. You say hi. Not to me. Okay, just to them. You just talk to them. Okay. <laughs> and will, do, will you do all you can acknowledging that Alethea is a gift from God and knowing that you are not perfect parents to help her know and love and to one day come to know Jesus personally as her Savior? If so, say we do. Okay. Family members and partners of Sunrise, will you stand with us? This is where we get to make a commitment to this family and to Alethea. So I want to ask you the same questions. Number one, are you here gathered because you believe that Jesus is Messiah? That is God's way to himself. If so, say we do. And the second question, do you acknowledge that it is part of your responsibility to walk with this family, to care for Aletheia, offering helpful hands, listening ears, and encouraging words? So that someday Aletheia would come to know the Jesus who we follow ourselves. If so, say we do. <laughs> and Aletheia says, thank you. <laughs> Here's a gift for you guys, the Jesus Storybook Bible. Before you take a seat, let's pray for these folks. You guys can send out a hand if you want to. Let's pray for them. God, we thank you for this family, for the gift of new life. For Aletheia, for the reminder of your truth being with us. God, we pray that this family would know that they're not alone. They don't just walk with their own family, their moms and dads and siblings, but they also walk with you and a spiritual family around them. So God, we pray that you would bless them, that you would bless Aletheia so that one day she would come to know and love you too. In Christ's name, amen. <laughs> Thank you, guys. So we are in the book of Acts. Uh, the book of Acts is written by a follower of Jesus named Luke. He was a doctor who saw a lot of the things that Jesus did, talked with a lot of the disciples, and decided to write two letters, one of them called the Gospel of John, another one called the book of Acts, that is the Acts of the early church, the Acts of the disciples. And he writes both of his letters to a person named Theophilus. Now, bonus points here, I'm going to throw a question out to you. Last week we talked about how we don't even know if Theophilus was a specific person, but we do know that his name means what? Do you guys remember? What's that? Friend of, God. Friend of God, yes. That was a dad who got that on Father's Day. Way to go. Friend of God. And in the opening chapter of Acts, we have uh, something that seems not very significant, but that Luke sees as important enough for us to know. And that is these two things. Number one, friend of God. It is our job as we set sail into pursuing what God has for us to, number one, pray. The disciples had just been told by Jesus to go and tell the world about him, and yet the first thing they do is they pray. There's something about that. And the second thing that they do that we can carry into today and stick into our own back pockets is this. Make sure you have the right people walking with you through life. And so for the disciples, what that looked like was picking Matthias to walk with them. For us, it looks like finding a community of people to walk with us and our kids to help them know and love Jesus. And so we left last week with two things that were reminders for us. Number one, just pray. As we step into the new seasons of life that we have, pray. Don't rush into it. Number two, make sure you've got a group of people who are walking with you. And with that, we ended the first chapter of Acts, and now we jump into the second chapter of Acts. And this is uh, the chapter of Pentecost. If you were with us a couple of weeks ago, we celebrated Pentecost Sunday. We're not going to go all the way through and rehash what we did then. You can go back online if you'd like to 
and uh, take a look at that. And I'm going to take a drink of this water because I've been holding it in my hand for a minute. And that gets distracting. But in Acts chapter 2, we have these people who claim to be Jewish, national Jews who have been following the laws of God for years and years and years, generations and generations, who come to Jerusalem. It's kind of like a huge religious family reunion. This, is, this day of Pentecost is not the first time that people have gathered on this day. It's actually a day that has been celebrated annually, reaching way back to Leviticus. That's way, way, way back there to like Moses. So only like six polygons in to the storyline that we've been covering. And so all of these generations of people who have been following God have gotten together each year to celebrate this Pentecost day that happens on Acts, in Acts chapter 2. And that's where these wheat grain offerings are offered to God to celebrate new life and to kind of reset life as a community and as individuals. And that's what's happening in Acts chapter 2. Now, as we jump into that, I'm going to read these passages, and you're more than welcome to follow along on the screen uh, or in your Bibles. But here's where we catch up to the story. The day of Pentecost, I just explained that to you, came. They were all together in one place, and suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent windstorm came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them, each of them being the followers of Jesus who had gathered in the upper room after they had been told to wait there till his spirit came. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, we talked a couple of weeks ago about how this means that not necessarily I was able to, if I was there, to speak uh, French and didn't know that before, or I was able to speak German, but I didn't know that before. It wasn't, the miracle was not here, but the miracle was somewhere in the air between the mouths of the apostles and the people who were there listening, because as one person spoke, French, German, Mandarin, Hebrew, whatever it was, were heard by the people who were there. And so people were shocked. They were saying, these people are Galileans. How in the world do they know our language? What's happening here? And then, of course, you also had a group of people, Luke says, who said, you guys are drunk. You guys have had too much wine. What's going on here? So then Peter stands up, and he preaches a sermon to the people who are there. And in that sermon, he anchors everything that they're doing, the reason why they are there, into the history of God's movement in the world. It would be very similar to uh, someone coming up on stage and saying to you, "Uh, look, I know that you come from different communities. Uh, You're coming here today to celebrate a day that is important to our ancestors. It's important to the God that we serve. And here's why it's important. And what Peter does is he walks all the way back and he says, back when we had King David, he was God's chosen king who came to set up a kingdom that God would somehow use to bring his his heavenly kingdom to the whole earth. And we trusted King David so much, we followed everything that he told us to do. And he was faithful to what Abraham taught us and to what Moses taught us. The King David, (laughs) you walk right over there, you can see his tomb. He's dead. He doesn't have a power that lasts beyond the grave. But this Jesus who came, we saw him. He was living and breathing and moving and working among us. And he died, yes, he was just like David over in that tomb. But he is greater than David because he is resurrected and he is still alive. But this Jesus, who is Lord and Messiah, he died, 
Peter says, because you killed him. This is how Luke says it. Therefore, let all Israel, these are the words of Peter, be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, the one who you saw do miracles, who died, was put in the grave, and was resurrected. Jesus was made, God made this Jesus who was crucified, both Lord and Messiah. He is the one who is able to rule over all things, is what Lord means. He is Messiah. He is the chosen one from God, the only one who can, in the words of Revelation, break the seals, who can pull the trigger to cause the world of heaven to come and meet earth. And when the people heard all of this, they were cut to the heart. That's a beautiful image there. For us, we can think, okay, it, it crushed them. It, their, their hearts were ripped out of their chest and they were wailing and mourning like when the Cubs lost to the Marlins two games in a row. Not quite. But this expression is unique in Hebrew thinking, in Jewish thinking. The heart is the, the center of intellect in the Hebrew world, the Jewish world. And so to be cut to the heart in our world would be something like saying Peter's argument was so strong there was no intellectual comeback that could overthrow what Peter just said. He made so much sense to the people who were there that they had no arguments to make. It was though he took an axe to every argument they had against who Jesus was and he chopped down the intellectual trees that they had planted in their hearts. Now, that seems strange to me. I mean, I grew up in church. Many of you grew up in church. And Peter's sermon here is only like this long. Like it would have been no longer probably in minutes as it probably wouldn't have been any longer than when Byron was up here saying, welcome. Here a few announcements. And then boom, everybody's intellectual tower that they have been standing on has been crushed and fallen to the ground. And we've heard this story so many times, it's easy to just run over it. I want to encourage you to go back and read Peter's sermon and, and read through the cross-references that are there. But where I want to focus this morning is on the response to the reality Peter presents to the people who are there. And the reality that he presents is that you killed Jesus, who is both Lord and Messiah. Now, I'm not here to say those of you who are sitting in these chairs right here killed Jesus, but I am here to help us look at these words and help us understand together what does it mean for us today? How should we respond today to the truth that Jesus is Lord and Messiah? So, let's ask the same question of Peter that the people who are here asked. Brothers, What should we do? How should we live now that we know Jesus is Lord and Messiah? Peter says, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, even those of you who are watching online, for all whom the Lord our God will call. Repent and be baptized. Forgiveness of sins. Yeah, those are words that we grew up with so much that they've formed calluses on our hearts a bit. At first, it kind of rubbed our skin and we paid attention and there's a blister and then it's just kind of callous. So when we hear, hear these words now, it's, it doesn't really mean so much. We don't feel the weight of these words. So what does this mean to repent and be baptized? 
when our daughter was born, I didn't ask permission to share this, Addison. Um, is it okay if I tell a story about you? Okay, I got a thumbs up. Uh, Addison is our firstborn kiddo, and uh, <laughs> we lived on uh, school campus at Gordon-Conwell, where she was born, and we're brand new parents, like many of you. You don't really know exactly how it is you're supposed to raise these kids, but they sent you home with this kid and said, God bless you. And so I would, of course, help change Addison's diaper, and I learned quickly on that I couldn't just do it the way that I wanted to do it. Because if I did it that way, then she would lay on the side of the bed, and I would take off her diaper, and then I would go and get the diaper. She's still right here next to me, get the diaper, and come back over, and just kind of take my time getting her ready to go. Well, there was a moment in my life where I repented of that idea. (laughs) Because she was laying there on the edge of the bed, and I was over here, And then something that looked like mustard shot across the room. (laughs) And I realized then I had to completely change the way I approached changing a diaper. I could not walk too far away. I had to keep my eyes on her and any potential mustard. I had to reorient my thinking and approach this baby differently than the way I wanted to. And so the question that the people of Jerusalem and all these other nations are asking of Peter, what should we do? The answer is this, reapproach this Jesus differently. Restructure your life instead of seeing Jesus simply as this great person who came and walked among us and died and was resurrected. And yeah, it's a great story. Let's wait for the next great story. What if you were to instead keep your eyes on Jesus to listen to what he taught, to pay attention to how he lived? And if you were to make that your way of life. This is Peter's invitation wrapped very neatly into this word, repent. Change your mind and reapproach Jesus in the way he longs for us to approach him. And be baptized. To be baptized, this is simply say, you know what, I'm all in. Baptism was something that happened to lots of folks then. If there was a rabbi who was doing great things and people wanted to show the folks around them that they were subscribing to this rabbi... They would go to a body of water and they would be baptized in the name of the rabbi and that was it. In this case, what Peter is saying, declare to the world around you by going into the waters to say, I'm going to follow this Jesus, this Lord and Messiah. That is our proper response to who Jesus is. And so when we believe that Jesus is Lord and Messiah, the first response that we have to that that's proper is to repent. That is to reorder our lives around him. This, I, I don't want to lop off Acts chapter 2 from Acts chapter 1. Remember, in Acts chapter 1, we have this realization that the book of Acts is being written to help us see what it looks like for a church to move forward well without Jesus being bodily present with them. And the first two things they do is they pray, 
They make sure that they have the people walking around them that they need to. And here we have them then together saying, we will together and individually reorient our minds away from the way our nations work, away from the way our families tell us we should function, and instead we will reorient our lives according to the teachings of Jesus. Now this is difficult. Some of you know this. You grew up in certain traditions where you don't do this and you had better do that. And if you do that and you you don't do the thing you should do, well then by golly, you might not actually be a Christian. You might be Lutheran. I'm kidding. I grew up Baptist, so anybody not Baptist was surely not loved by God. That's not true, but that's the way I grew up. Some of us grow up in systems that say, if you don't subscribe to this political ideology, then you are not someone whom God loves. And it is your responsibility then when you hear that Jesus is Lord and Messiah for you and your act of repenting to say, you know what, I'm not going to orient my life around this political figure or this political thought, but I instead am going to reorient my life around Jesus. This is where community is important. Because you and me, we can sit at home and watch news on TV, we can drive in the car and listen to a commentator, and we can very easily reorient our lives around that personality. We can reorient our lives around what the expectations are here in West Michigan of having a cabin, driving two SUVs, of having kids who play sports and do a great job, and we can easily get on that rat race, join that race of pushing our kids to be the best soccer players, the best volleyball players, the best actors, and yet we do not help them reorient their lives around Jesus. And this is a problem. If our kids can score a penalty kick at the end of a game to settle a tie, but they can't have a conversation with someone about who Jesus is, then we are not doing our job as parents to reorient our lives and our kids' lives around who Jesus is. And yet the first thing that we see in Acts chapter 2 is the proper response for those of us who believe that Jesus is Lord and Messiah is for us to reorient our lives around him. In the privacy of your own mind, just wrestle with that for a minute. And I don't mean this as any sort of judgment. I ask myself this as much as I ask you. How are you doing with this? I know that for me, it's really easy to reorient my life around my worries. To reorient my life around what it is I've done really well and what I want people to know about and making sure that I really wrap myself around hiding the things that I don't want people to know about. The invitation of Peter here, the example that we have here in Acts chapter 2, is to somehow let go of those things and reorient our lives and our minds around Jesus. The next part of this passage that I want to focus on is going to give you some brief pictures of what it is the people who are there who have heard Peter's sermon are doing, and what I want to do is explain what those are and then kind of sum them up in what will be the second response to who Jesus is that I think Peter and the writer Luke is trying to help us see in this passage. So let me read you a few verses here. In response to all of this, you've got, again, all of these people from all over the world who have been following God, and what they do then in response to hearing this sermon and being invited to repent is they devote themselves to the apostles' teaching. They decided to say, hey, you, John, come here. Hey, Peter, come here for a minute. 
tell us what Jesus taught you. Tell us what it was. And they go off into their small groups or their threes company or to their dinner tables at home, and they talk about those things together. So they devote themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship. They make sure they're hanging out with each other. They, de- they devote themselves to the breaking of bread. This is communion and to prayer. They're not making yard signs, putting bumper stickers on their donkeys. They're not designing t-shirts. They're focusing on what Jesus' teaching is. They're focusing on fellowship. They're focusing on breaking bread and prayer. And as they're doing all of this, everyone is filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. We don't know exactly what these were, but we know that there were things that are happening that were so cool that the people there were in awe of what God was doing. They saw what was present as being more than just the activity of the people they saw there, that somehow God's presence was there in the actions of his people. And so all the believers were together, and they had everything in common. They sold property, possessions to give to anyone who had need, and every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. That yellow highlighted part there, the believers were together. This means they didn't stay home and watch online. This means they didn't decide to just go on vacation and say, you know what, there's this group of people here who on Sunday mornings we get together and we hang out, and I'll see them then, maybe, unless something else comes up. I want to walk carefully here because it can feel like I'm doing one of these to people who aren't here, and that's not my intent. My intent is to show us that going back to Acts chapter 1, there's something important about praying. There's something important about making sure that you have people who are walking through life with you. Equally so, there is something important about being in a room with people who are trying to follow Jesus with you. There's something important about having a new child brought up in front of this group of people and for there to actually be a group of people in this room to bodily and verbally communicate to the child and to the family that we are here. These people were together. They had everything in common. They all loved the Michigan Wolverines and the Chicago Cubs and Lou Malnati's pizza. No, that's not what that means. They were for each other. They had common values We have values here at Sunrise, being biblical, authentic, evangelistic, thankful, compassionate. They had values there that were anchored in the story of Scripture that kept all of them moving in the same direction. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need, and every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. When I think of they sold their property and possessions to give to anyone who had need, this doesn't make sense to me. I mean, it does, but it doesn't. I mean, imagine a single dad coming into Jerusalem with a couple of his kids, and he's there seeing what's happening, and he doesn't exactly know how it is he's going to get back home. He doesn't have enough money to do that. His donkey died on the way there. He's lived a life that a lot of people who are there would probably not be very excited about. And yet he makes his needs known to the people who are there, and for some reason people's hearts are moved to say, you know what? I'm going to sell this goat, and I'm going to give you the money. 
so that you can get back home. I don't need to know your story. Or I know your story, but you're more than that action. Fast forward to today, just think about a a year ago or so when we decided together that we would give up some of our toilet paper. We would bring in some of our canned goods. We would sacrifice some of the time that we wanted to have at home to have fun and instead would repurpose it to be in this building so that we could give to the people in our community who were in need. Think about the small groups that you're in where you have shared with them that you need help paying a bill or you needed someone to pray for you or you lost someone and that small group of people or even your family responded by saying, we'll take care of that bill. We will show up at that service. There are glimpses of what these people and acts were doing happening right here in our own midst. It's the same kinds of things that were happening here. Luke goes on to say that they broke bread in their homes and they ate together. They were Baptists, or at least Italian. You eat. When's the last time you had somebody over to just eat? Yeah, we can use the pandemic as an excuse, but man, I remember growing up and After every Sunday, it seemed like we were going to Ponderosa with a group of people from church. For those of you who are younger, Ponderosa is this huge feeding trough that has subpar food that you go and get plates of. But it was never about Ponderosa. It was never about how clean or dirty someone's basement was or how many toys the kids had. We got together and we ate food. There's something about sitting around a table with food that helps us just talk and be. When we lived in Chicago, I don't know if I've told you this story before, we went to Moody Bible Institute and they had the kitchen closed, the cafeteria closed on Sundays. And so you were on your own to get food. Well, if you're in college and you're living in Chicago, you are poor. And so Stephanie and I, who were also poor but had a little bit of money so we could scrape together, we'd have some of our friends over every Sunday and we'd eat a meal together. And we never set sail on doing this so that we could have great relationships with these people. But after doing that over a period of time, we got to hear their stories. Eventually, we had a couple of extra toothbrushes in our bathroom and guys who would come over and sleep on the couch because they needed to process through some things with us and the conversation went long enough that they stayed the night. Some of you have had conversations with people in their home over bowls of ice cream or dinner or popcorn or whatever it is. You've played euchre. And you felt what that's like to be with a group of people You're not really getting together for the purpose of getting to know each other well and support each other, but by just getting together and doing something together, God uses that to produce something else. These are the kinds of things that we see happening in Luke. And so they broke bread in their homes and they ate together, not gossiping about leaders, not cutting down their Aunt June not talking just about the greatest Netflix show that they watched, but there was something specific that was happening. They were doing this with glad and sincere hearts. I don't know about you, but for me, it's easy to sit at a meal, to be with people, and to never once say something like, you know what, I'm glad that you're here. 
Or in my prayer for a meal, it's easy to not ask, God, would you bless this family? And yet these little actions, these small words of thanking God for people, of saying to the kids who have grown up in our midst, dog God, and I am proud of what you're doing. These kinds of things help build the church. And in doing all of this, it caused the people around them to enjoy being around them. How many people in our neighborhoods, in our social circles, would brag about hanging out with us in our homes? Say, you know what? Those people are good people. I enjoy being with them. This was happening. And in response, the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Many of us, as we read stories like this, can grab on to this last phrase here, that there were a whole bunch of people who were added to their group, and we can think, God, that's what we want. Send us people who are here, and we fly right past everything that leads up to this, and we think, okay, we need programs. We need big signs. We need to have air conditioning set at this temperature. We need to have dynamic pastors, all this kind of stuff, and all these people will show up. What happened in this story is that these people who believed what Jesus was Lord and Messiah is, number one, they reordered their lives around his life, and number two, the pictures that we saw, they engaged his community, giving and receiving life. Those are the two things. If we are a people who believe that Jesus is Lord and Messiah, if we change that wording to what we declare that we exist to do at sunrise, to transform the world with God's grace and love, and you're wondering how you can best do that, these are your answers. Number one, reorient your life around Christ's life. Not around mine, not around your small groups, Not around your kids, not around what you see or hear on TV or the radio, but around Christ's life. Number two, engage community and do it in a way that gives life and do it in a way that you're able to receive life. Make the ask if you need something. If someone makes the ask of you, Say no to something else if that's what it takes to help out. God, we come to you today as people who we've heard the stories over and over and over again. And like these Jews who were gathered in this location, we have gathered from all different parts of the city many, 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 many times. And we've heard the story of what you've done over and over and over again. And it can feel like the words that are given to us don't really motivate us much. And yet somehow when these people in Acts 2 are together, the words that they are hearing strike their hearts in such a way that there's a softness, there's an openness to you to ask how should we live. And God, thank you for the clear pictures of real people sitting around tables eating food and 
welcoming babies and helping the people around them. Because it's these kinds of pictures that help us see that what happened in Acts can happen now. And so, God, we pray because we see that you are both Lord and Messiah, that you would move in our hearts in such a way that we would, ori- we would reorient our lives around you and that we would engage with each other in a way that gives life and brings us life. God, we thank you for this in Christ's name. Amen. At the end of every service, we give folks an opportunity to sing, folks an opportunity to give. There's a QR code on the backs of the chairs in front of you. There's one that will show up there at some point, maybe after we sing, that you can use if you want to give electronically. There's also a small bucket back here on the table that you can put in some analog money if you want to. I want you to know that when you give to Sunrise, those funds help take care of the needs of people in our faith family and in our surrounding community. Thank you for your giving, for your financial giving, for your giving of singing praises to our God, for the giving of investing in your kids and in the kids who are back in the room over here while we can be in this space. Thank you for your giving. Let's sing together about the goodness of God. Your mercy now.
May the reorienting of our lives around the life of Jesus and the engagement in our community be a song to our God. Right after the service, we have snow cones right outside. Who doesn't like a snow cone? If you don't, don't raise your hand. It'll ruin the moment. But grab a snow cone. Hang around and talk a little bit. Maybe you had plans to go somewhere else. But again, there is something about being together. This week, as you go, may you go reorienting your life around Jesus and engaging his community for the sake of pursuing life. We love you. We hope you have a great week.